You're listening to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, episode number 36. This week, we're revisiting the best songs of 1988. Let's head back to a time where the parachutes were pants, jams were shorts, capizios were hip, and an unplugged Zoltar machine can make a kid big. So put on a pink tee and white blazer that would make Don Johnson jealous and join John McClane in an explosive party at the top of Takiomi Tower where you will join in all the fun with your undercover guests, Rob Heitman and Yippie Kaye. We're recording live in the studio with Stephen Petrie. Hey, welcome to the 30 Dozen Podcast where we discuss the top best 12 songs from 1988 while enjoying a drink or two. I'm Rob. I'm Steven. There we go. Uh, Steve, you have, you've, it's been a while since you've been here, man. It's been a while. The last one was Peter Gabriel. Episode 15. 15. There you go. Yeah. Well, it's good to, good to have you back in the fold, my friend. Glad we're here. <laughs> I'd like to thank everybody who's been active and joining in on our conversations on Facebook. I'd like to give a special shout out to a couple of people each time. I can't give a shout out to everybody, but here's a couple. Uh, Christina Jarno, uh, Carissa Rittenberg, and Elizabeth Von Bush. Thank you for being active on our Facebook page. Now, looking back at 1988, the movies that were out, let me just run through a couple of them. Beetlejuice, mm-hmm. Bull Durham, Child's Play, Big, Die Hard, A Fish Called Wanda, mm-hmm. Naked Gun, Above the Law, Twins, Young Guns, Cocktail, Coming to America, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Interesting for that one. So you have a favorite out of that? that out of all those, Coming to America. Yeah. I probably watched that ten times, but then I've a couple of those other ones. Obviously, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, so we watch that every Christmas. Yeah. But Coming to America is great, and I heard they're making a new one with original cast. Yeah, I just remember him saying, <laughs> "Hi, America!" The guy goes, "F you, f you too." <laughs> you know, Naked Gun was yeah. one of those big movies. It's like, hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. Yeah, <laughs> you know all of that crazy stuff that happened and Fish Called Wanda. Yeah, Cook a Can is coming to. Kill me. <laughs> and then Fish Call One. Was that Gina Davis? No, it was, that was uh, Cleese. I don't know if Palin. I saw that. Oh, you need to stop what you're doing and see that's uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Really good movie. Okay, I'll, I'll put that on my... T- I have an RV list and I have all the Beetlejuice I watched like a month ago. Okay. Well, that one is definitely a favorite. What was the very first one you named? Big is another... Yeah, that one I probably watched at least 10 times as a kid. Yeah. I haven't watched it in a while, but those are good ones. Well, back in 1988, these premium bourbons started emerging. And Jim Beam introduced a famous one, and it's called Booker's. There they make a couple every year. Now they're up to four a year. And we're drinking some today. We're drinking the 2020 Granny Batch. It's really good. It, it has a big nutty, as yep. m- most Booker's overtones do. Uh, you know, it has the bourbon notes and all that stuff. I think it's 127 proof, so it's pretty strong. I really get a peanut buttery note yeah. that's really Same. strong. Yeah, peanut butter, yeah. And that's fantastic. I agree. Yeah. Yep. Sipping it away. Okay, good. Before we begin, we'll be critically reviewing specific songs from each album, and we'll share under 30 seconds of each tune unless there is a specific issue or criticism that we may need to highlight, and then we'll do a second clip. We have made Apple Music and Spotify playlists. Just search Official Dirty Dozen on either service to listen to each of our lists in their entirety. This way, all the money for playing tunes will always head back to the artist. We have also created a current episode Dirty Dozen podcast playlist which will automatically update with each podcast to the current podcast. So subscribe once and always be updated. Also look for the link to our YouTube playlist as well, because sometimes music sounds better when you see it. Mm-hmm. For this whole 80s section that we're doing, we're going to be creating two separate lists. Stave will have a list. 
Dave. And I will have a list instead of trying to combine it. Because my guess is we'll have some that match, but the majority of them won't. So we're back to a top songs format. So, Steve, mm-hmm. what's, what's your song of note? You know, 1988, when you're young, it, it, music is life. And so I start listening to this, and it's it's very tough. So I'll do my song of note. I actually love this song, Mike and the Mechanics, The Living Years. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, it's a good tune. It still sounds amazing. I have the record at home that I searched out and got, so it's definitely up there. Lyrics are just basically saying, tell the person <laughs> that you love them <laughs> before it's too late. Yeah, it's from the son with, her, yeah. with talking about his father. Yeah. And, that. and the chorus is so iconic for that song. Mm-hmm. At first I was like, do I remember this? And I'm like, oh, and that chorus hit. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember uh-huh. that. It almost has gospel overtones as well. Yeah. I wish we could just listen to the whole song. Oh, you know, we can listen to most of it. I can listen to the playlist later, huh? Yes, you can. That'll be on there. I think this playlist, I think it's very attractive. Like the best of 198. That's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. And uh, let's listen to The Living Years by Mike and the Mechanics. Jeez. I like your 30 seconds. <laughs> His father died when he was on tour with uh, Genesis, I think. And he couldn't get back to, to him. And, you know, it was like all these things left unsaid. I love in that song where they have the children. Yeah, it's like a boys choir almost. It's great. Production-wise, I think, I don't know if it's an M1, but for that era, the M1, which we have one. Yeah. It, I just love that. And then if you think about the little arpeggio... The little delay things, how ahead of the curve, in my opinion, that is. I mean, you hear like bands like Passion Pit, like Phoenix, that kind of went into that. And the, how tight that sounds, it's just, I think it's fantastic. Well, I mean, even Genesis was doing some of that stuff. I mean, that's where he's coming from, yeah. right? Yeah, his solo stuff has been pretty solid. And his voice is amazing. Yep. I was young, er during this time this was kind of an older type song but it still connected with me as a kid there was something deep soulful about it well if you think about it when we're sons we're going to have relationships with our father and songs that kind of highlight that will always tend to ring out a little bit more yeah like i remember the first time i heard cats in the cradle Mm -hmm. or whatever some of those songs that just hit you it's like oh my gosh it was ugly kid joe right (laughs) no that wasn't that one but yeah (laughs) Harry Chapin, but yeah. I'm totally Yeah, not the Ugly Kid Joe version of it. Next podcast, Ugly Kid Joe. Ugly Kid Joe. Oh, all right. Now, from a nice, soft song, so this is not necessarily a loud song, but it's one of my favorite artists from not necessarily this year, but this song kind of jumped out from this year from him. It kind of brought him out of the Honey Drippers, and out of his old band, Zeppelin, Robert Plant, he had one hit mm-hmm. off of his Now and Zeppelin. Well, he had a couple, but the big hit was Toll Cole One, mm-hmm. and that was my song of note. And actually, Jimmy Page played the guitar on this track. Oh, that's cool. And there's a lot of cool backstory on this. The Beastie Boys had sampled some Zeppelin, 
and it really annoyed Plant and Mm -hmm. Paige, for that matter. So they were discussing retaliating by throwing some samples of the Beastie Boys in there. But they were like, the Beastie Boys were poorly recorded, and there was really nothing we can use. (laughs) So instead, they sampled Led Zeppelin in this track at the back end of it. Oh, that's cool. So that where they were going to use the Beastie Boys to be like in your face, they they used their own stuff because it was just better. Beastie Boys <laughs> were great though. What what was that? Eighty six. What Beastie? What the License to Ill? License to Ill was eighty six. We'll be touching it soon, I'm sure. Not this week, obviously. The keys driving the intro to the beat, and this one, the guitar comes mm-hmm. in, it's sort of echoing. Uh, I love the descending key dive. He goes, you know, mm-hmm. love the tune. I saw Robert Plant later on uh, with Alana Miles. Black Velvet Girl? Yeah, the Black Velvet Girl. In the early 90s, like 90, was in love with his Manic Nirvana album, which is 90, 91, somewhere in there. And this one was one of the songs he played, and he played some Zeppelin. But it was just a fantastic show, great showman. His music got really good. Like, Now and Zen was like his precursor to his great album, which Manic Nirvana, of his solo stuff, is just fantastic. Okay, question. When this came out, and you may not know the answer because you... you I remember the video. I didn't grow up. I did too. And I remember hearing this song in the locker room as a football player in junior high. You sure. know what I mean? So I remember, and it's in my top 47. It may have been in my top 20. Yeah. But how did Zeppelin fans react to the polished pop version of Zeppelin moments of this? Well, 88 was a weird year because we had two big stars of Zeppelin. Plant came out with Now and Zen. And Paige came out with Outrider, and they both had uh, songs that hit, at least MTV. It was nice, I think, for everybody to see it. When I took, like, the diehard Zeppelin fans, because I was a Robert Plant fan and a Zeppelin fan, when I went to see the show, he played some Zeppelin, but he played, like, three or four songs. It wasn't going to be a show of Zeppelin. Sure, sure. Yeah. I think that some of them were disappointed because they didn't hear all They're the like, Zeppelin songs. They're like, what about the 18 other hits? Yeah, 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 yeah. The production on that one seemed very polished and very 1988, probably. Very like, hey, we've got to hang on to this as long as we can. But at the same time, it obviously had merit. But production-wise, I wonder if they liked the glossier approach to the you know rock of Zeppelin. But you have this song specifically. I think the reason why part of it, it kind of grabbed people a little bit more is because it did have that end salute to uh, yeah. to Zeppelin. And actually, with Jimmy Page playing on the track too, regardless, it's kind of nice to see them come together for a track on this. So, I agree. Uh, let's listen to Tall Cool One by Robert Plant off of Now and Zen, my song of note. I'm going to jump ahead real quick. Yeah, I want to hear the end. badass i wonder if those drums were live on that record it may not have been that was the one they started moving a lot to the electronic drums and whatnot it's the sort of, ending was definitely cool though oh yeah it was amazing how we sample stuff in and embrace that 80s computer technology 
while still keeping some callback to the blues. I like the background vocals on that, too. Yeah, good no. choice. Good yeah, song. That's good, too. All right. So let's jump in. Why don't you start with your number 12, and then I will do my 12 and 11, and then you'll do 11 and 10, and so on and so on, and they tell two friends until we hit number one. All right. I'm nervous for some reason because I'm like, what if I get it wrong? But you know what? Everybody knows it. That's my song. Number 12. Everybody knows. Leonard Cohen. Wow. Really? And here's why. Christian Slater and some hot chick, they were in a movie called Pump Up the Volume. And he was like this rogue DJ. And he was just talking truth, basically, in the movie. And he would, I think he was like smoking cigarettes and he was listening to everybody knows. It was so creepy and cool. And then they started getting onto him. So he went mobile and he just started driving around and still, you know, it's like basically a voice for that generation talking truth outside the BS that we all, you know, act like once we get older and lie about everything. Yeah. And now, did that song play on the radio? Not in my state when I lived in Oklahoma. That's why I watched the movie. Because I didn't know who that was. I didn't know how to look it up or go buy it. But that's freaking awesome. It's yeah. just something about the way the poetic movement and then the visuals of like a young generation kind of in rebellion. It was awesome. Have you ever seen that movie? No. no. How about the volume? Is it come up? Yeah, uh, no, I know it's an it's an it's I know it's a ninety movie. Who's the girl? What's the girl? She had dark hair, short hair, like a bobbed haircut. She was super hot. I think it's Samantha Mathis. I think she was in. Uh, oh, she in American Beauty? Is that right? Or American Psycho? I think. I really liked her. I think my sister and I really liked that movie okay. a lot. But that song, I listened to it when I was working on this list. I was like, "Yep, I still love it," and it takes me back to that movie and that time period. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the lyrics in that song, they have some have references to even AIDS and social problems. And oh, yeah. See, I didn't hear any of that. Issues. <laughs> right. No, I know. I know. But that's good. No, this is good. Tell me. Tell me more. You know, everybody knows that the dice are loaded and everybody knows that the good guy's lost and all that stuff. So it's it has political overtones as well. Right? That's awesome. Yeah. But but put it in, putting it in context of that movie, it was all about rebellion of sticking it to the man still. I totally get it. Let's listen to the Leonard Cohen song from 1988. The number 12 song by Stave. Uh, Everybody Knows. Let's listen. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor, the rich get rich. That's how it goes. Yeah, and that voice and the just sexy track, man. For those of you who don't know, Steve has a very high voice when he sings. Like he can sing like any woman that you've ever met. Uh, he sings it well, he's great. But it's always funny, like, when you hear the artist that Steve loves, it's the ones who have the deepest voice possible because he can't sing it. And that's Seriously why he loves jealous. it. Seriously yeah. jealous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but that's true. <laughs> anyway, my number 12 is not this obscure song. As I was playing, like, these are my, my four or five songs that I'm on the edge for. My wife said, no, 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 you have to put that band on here. 
and I'm from New Jersey, so it makes sense. Oh, gosh, I know exactly <laughs> what it is. <laughs> the album named after my state, and of course, Bon Jovi, if you're a, a New Jerseyite, there's a special place in your heart for John Bon Jovi. I remember when I was in college, I delivered flowers, and one of the houses I delivered to was the Bon Jovi house. And I got to meet his parents when I delivered the... He, was, he wasn't there. It was just his parents were living there. That's so cool. Now, the question <laughs> is, is, which of the two songs are you going to pick? Well, I'm picking Bad Medicine. Okay. Because okay. it rocks a little heavier. Yeah. I'm not one for the ballads when I have an option. Yeah. And I get it. You Unless know. it's Bed of Roses. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but the key stabs in the beginning, running into the chorus, the group vocal feel right from the beginning, it gets you into it. Yep. You're already in the song. And then the verse comes in and then Ooh. it pulls you through. Although the only thing I'd say is that Richie loves the vocoder a little bit too much, you know, with the tube. And but in Slippery When Wet. Whoa, whoa. Oh, no, that was awesome. Whoa, whoa, that was whoa, awesome. But that. I mean, he adds just that tiny bit of it here that I can hear. And I'm like, eh, did that really need it? I don't know. Do you remember the video for this, the song at all? Was it a... Was it a oh, Sam no, Kinison was in it. And hmm. he was outside. He was like, is this going to be the same video slop that we always get from these glamour rock pretty boys that get on camera and dance around with the same lighting angles, the same camera angles? Is this going to be the same kind of video we always get from you guys? Yes, it is. Uh, is that good enough for you? No! Do you think we can make a better video than these guys yeah! So they all take cameras, and the way they did this video is they gave 250 fans oh, I remember that. video cameras, and they went through the... The show. And then they took all the footage and made the vid from their videos. Yeah. I'm glad you picked it. Okay. All right. Let's listen to Bad Medicine by Bon Jovi off of New Jersey. I love it when he goes, I got to, I got, I got to, I got to sing it again. Yeah. <laughs> well, who produced that? Uh, Bruce Fairburn. Okay. I loved how the 80s rock was so many background vocals. So the chorus is such, which it is the payoff, but on this, it's like their translation of the payoff was like, let's throw 22 John Bon Jovis on this chorus and we're going to kill this. <laughs> if you think about it, you hear the first chorus and you're probably singing it in the first chorus because yep. it's so repetitive. Before they even hit the first verse. So you get the verse and they get the kind of vibe and then you know it's coming again and you're ready for it. And it's really, when I was listening to it just now, it's it's really bluesy. It's just a blues tune, but it's made pop and rock. Yeah. But it's very bluesy. Good guitar tone at the top on those verses. Oh, I know. It's yeah. really good. It's all good. Now that I just said I'm not one for ballads, my next song is going to be a ballad. <laughs> Number 11. Number 11 for me is the only top 10 hit of Ozzy Osbourne's solo career. Whoa. And it's not even on his album. It's true. It's Close My Eyes Forever mm -hmm. by Lita Ford off of the Lita album. Uh, Lita, who was uh, started in this business with the Runaways and Joan Jett. And she took Sharon Osbourne as her manager. Mm -hmm. And the story for this song goes, the Osbournes came over and hung out at the studio 
and gave her this big gift of this big ape or something. Like a live ape? A stuffed animal, but it's the size of a big couch. You know what I mean? It's a massive one. (laughs) Okay, got it. So they ended up hanging out, drinking and doing whatever they do afterward. And uh, they're playing pool. And after a while, Sharon goes, Aussie. No, I'm not going to do a good Sharon. I'm going to do a really bad one. She goes, if you guys want to play pool, I'm just bored. Keep playing pool. Don't worry about it. I'm going home. So needless to say, they stayed in the studio all night, Ozzy and her. And they went into the recording studio, this little small room with a small amp. And they started, she started playing the chords. And Ozzy started singing the song to her. She didn't realize at the moment that he was talking about his relationship with his wife. He was talking about how he felt alone, how he felt like if he was gone tomorrow, would his wife ever know? You know, it was they were in a bad point with him and Sharon, and then they stayed together for a while, and I think they just broke up recently. But once they heard it, it was like, boom, they have to put the song out. It, it was one of those songs that was just so deep, and it, you kind of have to put it in here. Now, if this song is on my list, then I reveal. Absolutely you do. I reveal. Uh, well, good taste, number one. And what do you have to say? What's going on? I think what you just said was you taught me stuff, but I can tell you how it makes me feel when I listen to it. Sure, sure. There's something real about it. Like when Ozzy comes in with the close my eyes, close your eyes, like it's like, oh, okay. But I think she held up. Oh, she's fantastic. She measured up. That makes for a good duet. My brother's in a band. And that has a guy and a girl lead singer. Sure. And I've told them, I think you should do that as a duet. Like, I wonder, you should redo this song. It's so good. For those of you who don't know, Steve's brother, Chad, is in a, a small band called Shiny Toy Guns. Yeah. So, and yeah. my brother and I started it together. But that song with, with Kara and Chad doing that, that would be epic. It would be, and just redo it. Yeah. No, has anyone remade that, I wonder? I don't, not that I that know That song, of. It, it made my list. It, yeah, and I mean, she's a rocker chick. Oh, she is. No. In my eyes. Like, I love all that stuff. I don't like the album cover of that whole album. <laughs> oh, come on. It's just lead on the cover. What's wrong with that? Her little tattoo. Oh, it's okay. It's all good. I have no problem with that one. I just think it doesn't look great. And Kiss Me Deadly, I actually thought about yeah. briefly. You yeah. know what? That was on my note to say, to, to say that is on that album, too. Yeah. And it was great. Yep. So let's listen to Ozzy Osbourne's only number one hit. Well, he had a number one hit in the UK for Paranoid when he was with Black Sabbath, but his only solo hit. And a lot of people think it would have been Crazy Train, but nope. It's Close Me Your Eyes Forever. Here we go. Close My Eyes Forever. Sorry. Off with Lita Ford off of the Lita album. So let's listen. Sometimes it's hard to go. Some Pink Floyd vibes in there too. Oh, and the solo, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but I love that too. That's my number Great eleven. Great too. Oh my, I, I, I can't. I'm going to tell my brother again. He needs to redo that song. <laughs> All right, Steve. What is your number eleven? Oh, I'm up. You're I'm up. up. Number eleven. That was a good one. I'm glad that we got that one out of the way. That was great. My number eleven was me being a singer. I'm telling you about my life at the time. 
sure. and what this song meant to me and how it broke through. In school, being kind of a jock or more in sports, music was there, like there, the ability to do it, but it just wasn't cool or fun. Sure. And then we, we went to this talent competition and then I met this guitar player who was there, you know, we, he was, did his own thing. We did our own thing and then ended up being, becoming friends. And then he would introduce me to, me to music and this and that. And, and then I, he showed me this song. It blew my mind open. I was like, I don't know what that is, but I quit the music that I am doing and I want to do that. And my number 11 is one by Metallica. Good tune. It's on my list as well. So the video I discovered after, mm-hmm. and you're a guitar player, Rob, so you know yeah. this. Every guitar player I knew at the time, everybody wanted to play that riff when it really kicks in, like halfway through the song, or it's like, oh my God, what is this? This is a new level. And then as you get deep with the song, listen to the story, and then you go watch the music video, which I think is incredible. It's dark and weird and awesome. Yeah, if you hear Metallica talk about it, they tend to talk about how they wanted to make the anti-video. Instead of all these big brash colors that were going on in the 80s, they wanted to make it black and white. They wanted to make it, you feel the emotion of the song in a way that would separate it from the rest. And they had hauled hold off doing a video for such a while that they wanted to make sure they made an impact once they got it. And the story is about, it's from this book, Johnny Got His Gun. It's about a uh, World War I soldier who was in a bunker, got hit, just lost his face, lost his ears, lost his arms, lost his legs. He can't communicate, or at least he didn't think he could have communicated at all. And the people around him thought he was dead. And he was just being kept alive to kind of perform experiments on. And he couldn't communicate with anything because he couldn't talk, he couldn't mm-hmm. smell, he couldn't see, he couldn't do anything. So it's a very dark song. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting in my dorm room with a buddy of mine and playing this and not realizing that the rhythm part and the lead part for the song are pretty intricate, even for the acoustic section. At first, you don't hear. You think, oh, I can just play that with one guitar. But in reality, you can't. They definitely went up a level. And this is before the Black Album, before the producers got a hold of them. It's genius. It's but, amazing. But for me, this is not even my top song on this album. Uh, and Justice for All is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harvest of Sorrow, uh, Freight Ends of Sanity, Blackened. There's so many good songs on this album if you're somebody who likes metal. But the great thing about One is it jumped over mm-hmm. and it let people who didn't know much about Metallica, maybe heard the name, but didn't know any songs by them. Maybe they heard Master of Puppets, maybe, but probably not. So this kind of brought them I in. I was that person. Yeah. I was the bridge. Yeah. I, that The bridge that crossed over... I was the, who they met, and it made me want to be in a rock band. When, when I saw them live, I saw them on a Justice for All tour. When they did one, all the lights go out, and they had surround sound in this, whatever, they have all the speakers they have, and you hear the chopper going around, and you hear the machine gun fire popping through, and That's they have cool. the pots exploding on stage, and then it just dies in the smoke, and you see them just... I bet the people go crazy. It was crazy. The whole show... What year? Uh, this is 88, 89. You saw them then? Yeah. Yes, I did. Oh. Yeah. I saw, I saw them twice on that tour. I've never seen them. It was a fantastic tour. Yeah, and I was back into metal then. So it was a big thing for me because I loved all their other albums. But anyway, let's listen to Steve's number 11. Yep. One by Metallica. Off of And Justice for All. 
Okay, I'm gonna move it up a little bit to the uh, the faster stuff. I wonder what they were. I wonder what they did in the studio when they heard it in the big speakers after they recorded it, and they're like working on the mix or whatever. I bet they were like, "Oh, what is this?" <laughs> it's interesting that the whole story of the guy again. The one thing that stood out to me is in the book, in the movie, and he finally realizes that he can't communicate, and a nurse figures this out. He remembers he knew Morse code, and he can move his head, so he starts tapping out Morse code. SOS, and, isn't it? SOS? You know what he typed out? What? He t- kill me. Yeah, that's right. I remember. Yeah. yeah. Because he's just stuck in this limbo yeah. and he can't do anything ever. Ugh. It's awful to think about. All right. So that's your 11. So what's your 10, brother? Number 10. A little Bobby McFerrin. Don't worry. Be happy now. You know what? It's still in my life today. Really? I taught it to my kids when they were growing up, and I would whistle it. I would sing it. We learned it on guitar. They would sing it. It's just a good jam. And it was interesting. It came out of nowhere. It didn't fit in any genre. Sure. It was weird in the sense of this guy did all this, no instruments, no nothing. It was just him just being an artist. Sure. And it happened to be a huge hit. And to this day, I whistled it. You knew what it was. Sure. It's legit, dude. Amazing chorus. It's amazing hook. But it's almost like a, it's a small world. Yeah. That's it gets, what it gets it to me It gets stuck in your head in a, in a wrong way. Yeah. As an adult, like many years past, it, it, it's still in my brain somehow. And that means something to me. I can't fault you for putting it on there. I probably thought that you would put it on there. So therefore, I don't have to put it on there. <laughs> 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 I gladly put it on there. But yeah, there's a couple songs that are going to be in that space. But what, think about it. He did all that's before. What is that band that are not band, but group, the singers, the phonics or whatever. What are they called? Uh, they do all uh, pentatonics. Pentatonics. Yeah. yeah. That's like what? 30 years before that. So it's like he this dude was doing it all by himself. And he wrote that crap. That's good, man. So don't the world. You'd be happy. All right, let's listen to Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin. Let's listen. Okay, we're good. (laughs) All right, let's listen to it. Don't worry, be happy. And I'll go place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. But don't worry. Be happy. Landlord said your rent is late. It might have to litigate. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could. I. All right, let me ask this question, Rob. This song should be playing on repeat in our culture right now. <laughs> Well, true actually, that's probably true. <laughs> I think we need a little happiness around. Yeah, his, his ooh, ooh, ooh. it's like reminds me of like Lion Sleeps Tonight, and then he has the ooh, ooh. he's doing the bass. It's just extremely musical. 
which I, I love. I think maybe I'm just bitter because this is the song that knocked Sweet Child of Mine out of the <laughs> number one spot. <laughs> That could be a problem, meaning I could be on your side on that one. <laughs> Here's my number 10. It's off an album called Heavy Nova. Hmm. It's by an artist called Robert Palmer. And the, the song is simply irresistible. I love the way that he attracted attention by using fashion models instead of himself in the video. I thought it was genius. I love the breakdown part where the vocals kind of take stage. And I give props in the video to the model playing the solo because it actually looks like she's playing the solo. <laughs> anyway, I didn't realize that he died of a heart attack yeah. in, uh, at the age of 54 yeah. in Paris. And uh, it's a sad thing. I looked at my list because I thought we joined again. Like, I thought we united again. And I looked, I was like, oh no, it, it's not in my list. And when I was condensing down, which was the toughest thing I've ever had to do. It, this is really the I toughest thing you ever had to do. Regarding music. <laughs> yeah, top it. five, top, yeah, top eight. Okay. <laughs> but cutting that one is part of my influences. Like I have a song called Stars Tipped Over. So I did two drum tracks. One of the drum tracks was a room mic that I put an L1 on and, and compressed it and brought the room mics closer into the speakers, basically, to try to make it sound like Robert Palmer drums. Sure, and sure. His sure. drums sound so punchy and good. I don't know how it didn't make my top 12. So Yeah, this won a Grammy Award, though, for Best Rock. No, it, I don't think it's rock, but it's what? darn good. It wasn't metal. I remember when, when I heard that he died of heart attack, that I was shocked. I was like, oh my God. Well, he was so young, you know? And that is, nowadays, for sure. What year was that? He died in 2003. 2003. At 54. So anyway, let's listen to my number 10. Simply Irresistible. I kind of see the video in my head when I hear it. I think the drums are up in the mix, too. I think that's yeah. why I like it. It's very rhythmic and good. Very much. I think that's some of the best pop rock. I'm glad that you put it on your list so I can talk about how much I love it. <laughs> very good. Okay, now I'm going to put on a song that I don't know if you'll love, but it's a song I love. Is this nine? It's my nine. It's probably my nine, too. We're going to be in good company. I got it. This is, uh, I recently saw the lead singer of this band oh, play God. recently. Not Puddle uh, of Mud. Not Puddle of Mud. <laughs> it's a Gypsy Road by Cinderella off a long, cold winter. And I yeah. saw a Tom Keeper at the local club. Really amazing show. It brought me back to all those great <laughs> Cinderella songs, right? And if you think about Gypsy Road, it's a blues tune. And it kind of stepped back from this hair metal straight ahead that was happening. In which a lot of those bands did. They would do the... 
you know. Well, this isn't a soft song. This is like a straight hard blues. Gypsy Road is not a, not. I don't know what it's got. Full. I'm tempo gone. wise, it's slow. I guess tempo. You're right. It has some like some yeah. more harshness to it. Yeah, it's not acoustic guitar. No, 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 no. This is a nice hook. Completely Wait, different. I would have gone to that show with you. It was it was a fantastic show. The two shows that I've seen locally recently of like the '80s bands, Tesla was really good. Mm-hmm. And Tom Kiefer was amazing. But Tom Kiefer blew his voice out in the late 90s. I wonder why. <laughs> but he actually had a, a sickness. And it kind of paralyzed half his vocal cords. And he kept singing through it, which caused him to do significant damage to his throat. Uh, through hemorrhages. And he had to have surgery. And then he had a cyst on his vocal cords. He had to have surgery. And they didn't really know why. And then they kind of figured it out that it's this... Uh, nodes? Vocal nodes? No, it's called vocal cord paresis on his left side of his vocal cords, which pretty much caused him to become paralyzed. And he had to learn how to re-sing with it. Like if your arm is really hurt, you have to go through a lot of physical therapy. From when it blew out to his next album was 22 years. And when I saw him, he sounded amazing. He went through vocal coaching. That's the trick right there. It's the trick. As his physical therapy, but really good vocal coaching over time and learning how to do it and if you know he's a very raw singer he's got that very as scratchy as you could ever be when he was with cinderella Mm -hmm. and even now he still sounds the same but he knows how to do it the thing is is i think because i'm singer as a foundation that a lot of times people get confused even singers professional singers signed singers get confused with style like if you look at it like a guitar amp you have the power Mm-hmm. The power amp, the, the the amp that's going to come from your diaphragm as a singer. But what people think is the tone knobs, that's where the power comes from. And it's not. That's where the style comes from. So a lot of times they try to push with their throat and you tour for four years because you have a hit or two album. If you're not doing it correct, is mentally draining on you. Like mm-hmm. you have to do that every night and people expect you to go, Don't know what you got. It's like, I don't want to do that tonight because yeah. my voice is tired, but the show must go on. He had six surgeries on yeah. his throat, and, he, and they told him he was never going to be able to sing again. And as a singer, regardless of what you think of him stylistically, but that's how he sung since he was eight years old in bands. Yeah, and putting all of your self-value in that, and then all of a sudden just kind of lose that and think that may be gone and dealing with the, the pressure of that and then coming through. And if you heard him in that show... It's just amazing. You know how some people lose step? I guess he took the time off. He took it serious is what it sounds like. He just sounds fantastic. Anyway, let's listen to Gypsy Road of, of the Long Cold Winter album by Cinderella. Hey, that's Gypsy Road. His vocal. Can you imagine doing that every night? Yeah, that's probably, you know, he's shredding it. Yeah. And he wasn't trained. He just went and done it from the early age. So he did it from from eight years old. Yeah. Straight through. And he finally got hit at the end. They're just a good, solid band, you know? I think it was definitely, uh, you know, what, a five or six year era. It was very stylized. Yeah. That wouldn't work in 1990. But for that time period, it was legit. It was good. 
What is your number nine? Number nine. I'm just going to jump out and say it. And I, I'm not a follower of this band. I'm a follower of this song. Cheap Trick, The Flame. Oh, nice. This song might be perfect. The way it's sung, the passion, the melody. It's just great. I just remember this and was like, oh my gosh, this is too good not to like throw way up there. It's really, I think it's a special song. Should be in your top 12 for sure. Uh, it's not. No, you dropped the ball. His voice is great, dude. No, no doubt. He has a great voice. There's a lot of balance. When I think about Cheap Trick, I think of, I want you to want me. And I think of Dream yeah. Police. Yeah, I just love this song. I like his voice. I'm a pop guy. I'm a melody guy. Yeah. And when you. Th- it's the big ballad that, w- that really brought them back on the airwaves after really not being around for most of the 80s. Because they were a late 70s band that was still around and putting out albums but without much traction. And then they write a good jam. Like for me, yeah. I'm a total generic guy in this time period going, I don't know what this is and I don't care where they came from. This moves me. Sure. You know? I was so happy that it was um, in this year so I could throw it in my top 12. No, it's a very good song. It's a really catchy song. And it was one that I thought about putting on, but it didn't make it. If it comes down to putting a ballad or a rock song, I tend to lean towards the rock song. See, like Cinderella, I tend to lean toward, don't know what you got, do this guy. Because that was probably their biggest hit too, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, That Nobody's Fool, which is all of the same sort of uh, ballad things that most uh, people like. All right. Anyway, The Flame. This is the jam. No, it's a good tune. And I saw him on American Pickers. There you go. That seals that. (laughs) That I was like, I'm on the borderline, but they were on Steve's favorite show in the world, American Pickers. So uh, anyway, let's listen to "The Flame" by Cheap Trick. It's a good tune. Yeah, that was their only number one, actually. Really? Yeah, even after I Want You to Want Me, you think that would have been number one. The is good. The vocal, it, that song is freak. I want to, we should learn that. We no, yeah, that. that's a good song. All right, Steve, what's your number eight? You ready for this? I think this song is incredible. I think it crosses genres. It crosses culture, musicianship-wise, production musically, the way it was recorded, the lyric is provoking. It is, and it's not like... I think I know what you're going to go it's with. It's not manufactured. It is yeah. the shit. Like, it's great. Living color. Yep. Cult of personality. It's on my list, too, yeah. Dude, the vocals, all black band, just destroying it. Just destroying it. The thing I loved about it was, like, most times when you see people write a song, it's usually one-sided. It's usually the good side. The people they look up to. Like, this song, they just talked about what makes... 
somebody like Kennedy be so popular and, and Mussolini. somebody Mussolini it's so like popular? What the, it's like the 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 far Ga- end of the Gandhi spectrum. and Stalin. <laughs> yeah, they have uh, quotes from Malcolm X in it and Kennedy, who were both assassinated for what they did. FDR was in it as well. They actually wanted to have Martin Luther King. But I have a dream. At the end of it, we should rock this right now in our culture. Right now, these guys. These, no, they're great. You think about this, and you think of gimmicks. It wasn't gimmick though. Oh, we're gonna manufacture these guys. The video. Do you remember the video? Sure. Yeah. The dude freaking rocked. And Vernon was, Reed, yeah, on the dude, guitar, yeah. Like I don't, I, I didn't follow him after the. I know they had a, a few songs that I yeah. was like, this is amazing. When I heard this in my studies, like Ode to a Landlord like, and a couple dude, other things this, that were really big, yeah production holds water the drums are boomy and big and i thought it still sounds amazing great vocals great song they weren't an overnight success even though they kind of seem like it they didn't have that airplay up until this point they they were one of these bands that worked for a while and they got in and they were you know all black band in hard rock space which was nobody else was really doing it so good they got to play with the rolling stones that's so mick jagger was at cbgb's in new york and he saw him, and he's like, "Hey, let me go help you produce your demo. You guys have to be going. You're, I you're bet they're like, mm, let me think. Yeah, yeah okay. they're like, and, <laughs> and Vernon Reed, the guitarist, actually played on uh, Mick Jagger's solo album, Primitive Cool. He, he didn't he keep his guitar really high? Yeah, he it kept it fairly high. It yeah. ma- and he was so their, active. Their colors were a lot like neon, right? Did they? One yeah, of his, had, like, his guitar was completely like yeah. all exploded. Yeah. I remember seeing this and I was like, I don't care who's playing this. This is incredible. And I heard it in my studies. Oh, good. I, It has to be up there. Yep, absolutely. Did you say it's in year 12 too? Yes, it is. This is definitely there. Living Color, the only other thing that jumps to mind is in Living Color. The TV show. And there was a lawsuit. Oh, God. Because Living Color sued in Living Color because it came out later. In Living Color was trying to work with Living Color to get them to play for them forever and work with them on the show. And then they said, no, no, we're not going to do that. And so they took, they made it In Living Color anyway. Idiots. And then In Living Color used Living Color's logo as their logo for In Living Color. Yeah, that's not good. (laughs) So they settled out of court, but after the settlement, In Living Color changed their logo. Because in all fairness, they still have to sell product and they still have to you know, they weren't huge. Was it a coincidence or are they literally no, like, no. hey, I like that. Let's take no, that to crap. No, it was, there was some legitimacy behind it. Huh. When they took the exact logo and made that the, the header for for the show, at that point, there was some malicious intent to it. The show was amazing. But to use the logo on top of it, I thought was kind of... Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. Yeah. The band was so talented. Well, regardless, I was just a generic listener at this time and i was like i don't know what this is but it's incredible Damn. it's a fantastic song so let's take a listen to in living color cult of personality season eight I gotta so much angst. Uh, I can't wait to put this playlist together and just listen uh, to all these. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. It's, yeah, Lee, that was great. 
Okay, I'm going to shift gears just a little <laughs> bit to, oh, the love of Paul Simon's life on my next song. Wait, this better not be Edie Brickell. Edie Brickell and the Wait, New Wait, I didn't have that on my list. Yeah. I'm changing my shit right now. <laughs> I really am. It's number eight, oh. What I Am. Oh, wait, why didn't I have that in my list? I don't know. It's, it's I like, am an idiot. Wait, was she married to Paul Simon? She is married to Paul Simon. Still? Yeah, last I checked. Good for her. They actually played on Saturday Night Live, and that was where she met Paul Simon for the first time. Was he on the show or something? Uh, yeah, or whatever, and... He probably fell in love. Yeah, and they and married in 1992. I remember that. The That's song a- deals with the need for simplicity and expression, and it, it takes me back to college when I hear it. And all of those faces and people start coming back to the forefront of my mind. Reminds me of Fossenmacher. I remember all these people, Wendy, DeVore. I remember all these people I was hanging out with at the time, Pat Papa, Ray. Did she quit? They had like three albums, and then I they question- kind of died off. On the album that were that what I am is on, did they have a song called um, "I Quit, I Give Up, Nothing's Good Enough for Anybody Else"? Because if so, I'm telling you, people, I put that number one. Um, because that song is so good. Was that on the album? Yes, it was. What's called the the name of the song is called "The Circle." They had like the Otto Wass guitar solos. I love her. Yeah, she's amazing. That whole album was good, but what I am really sticks out for me. I just remember playing it acoustically and and just the vibe of the song. And uh, she's incredible. I could see why Paul Simon was like, "I want to know that girl." No doubt. Let's listen to my number eight. What I am by Edie Brickell oh my God, and so the jealous. new so Bohemians. I love her. <laughs> no, it's great. The bass player was incredible. The whole band was incredible that was with her. And uh, her, she just gets that vibe of like half of the women I knew in college. Totally brings she me back. She had a depth, that, an art depth that most people didn't have. Yeah. All right. So my number seven wow. is another woman of rock from the album Up Your Alley. <laughs> I Hate Myself for Loving You by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts is my number seven. Joan initially wrote this, came up with the guitar riff and wrote the song as, I hate myself because I can't get laid. Uh, And Desmond Child popped up and he says, no, 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 you have to make that love. (laughs) So it ends up being, I I hate myself for loving you. And it it became, um, I love the riff and the groove. Uh, It's cool. The lyrics are totally relatable to a time in most people's lives. Yeah. As, yeah. as they teenage some, angst yeah but it has the track is cool it has like swag to it before swag was the word like it has some coolness to it it always fascinated me about joan jett and joan jett i love joan jett by the way was she was in the runaways and then after the runaways picked up she had wrote 
uh, I Love Rock and Roll, that whole album, which was fantastic. Put another dime in the jukebox, baby. But everything, like Crimson and Clover and all yeah. these great songs. And she had it, and she shopped it to all of these record companies, and nobody wanted to touch her. So she was the first real indie artist. She's like, screw it, I'm going to press it myself. And she pressed it and toured on her own with I Love the Rock, I Love Rock and Roll album until it finally got signed. And then she got signed, and then she did something to piss the, uh, the label off at MCA. And not only did MCA not promote her, but MCA actively promoted against her and told radio stations that they're not to play her. And she had this really bad relationship. And then she's like, that's it. I moved to Electra. And she started having the same issue that whatever she's- She's a rock Yeah, she's she's a rock rock girl. And was having a hard time, even though some of the songs. But what broke her was was Michael J. Fox and a movie called Light of Day. If you have to see it, it's worthwhile. She does a really great acting job in it. And she wrote a song with Michael J. Fox, which was Light of Day. It was supposed to be Bruce Springsteen, actually. And she actually, it's a Springsteen wrote part Sing of it. Sing it. I'm just about the corner of the light of day, yeah. You know, All right. But Light of Day was the big song in the movie. And that kind of broke her back up into the mainstream. And then she came up with this next album. And it had I Hate Myself for Loving You on it. And it became huge. Which is just cool. Another interesting just sidebar, and when I, I did an Aerosmith podcast uh, a while back, and Steven Tyler, one of the books he had, he says, Does this noise in my head bother you? Which is his book. And I read a lot of stuff when I have, especially when we're focused on one artist. There's a scene from it where uh, Steven shows up at Joan Jett's hotel room, buck naked, and she opens the door and he goes, I hate myself for loving you. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, she slammed the door out of me. Good, good girl. Good, good, good. Oh, gosh. Anyway, let's listen to my number seven, I Hate Myself for Loving You by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. good her vo- her, her voice is good yeah, like I, like literally her voice is good she's stacked like there's yeah. two of her singing that right but it's she she was cool for me i'm always that big open guitar chord yeah and with that little slide in there yeah, and it's, it has it's like simple. a little punky thing to it too yeah that's where she came from right i mean the runaways were pretty much punk can't go around that anyway that was my number seven so stay what's your seven my seven is close your eyes, which we already did. Okay, good, good. That's a nice place for so the So that was our joining song. I can see One it being them. there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what do you have at six? Six is. <laughs> you know what? I'm unashamed. The right stuff by New Kids on the Block. <laughs> and here's why. You were in a boy band. That's why. I was why. a young man <laughs> growing up in Oklahoma. We were singers. Doing pop music sure. and the biggest band in the world at the time, in my eyes, was New Kids on the Block. And you know them too, right? Yeah. I swear I remember being in the Kmart parking lot right next to my house and I bought the album and I was like, I'm gonna study this to find out 
who we need to kick their ass because <laughs> yeah. this is our competition. Yeah, yeah. And they were on top of the world. But our dad taught us, you know, we're not competing against other bands in the state. We're we're trying to like be big. No. And I love their album. I love their stuff. They were pop songs. They were on top of the world. And I like the videos. I'm 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 a, I'm a I was a guy, but I still was like I like Donnie out of all of them because he was kind of the bad boy. Mm-hmm. It, was, it is what it is. Rob. Sure, sure. No, I get it. But you know what? They took over the world for a while. How did you know them? We knew him later because after this, you know, they influenced what we did. Sure. Steve and was in a band called uh, PC Quest. And here's a little clip for those of you who haven't heard them before. Just a little bit. So then we toured, we were in New York. We lived in New York for probably like three or four months because we were signed to RCA New York. We stayed in the Paramount Hotel for months. I remember Marky Mark, which is Mark Wahlberg, had a party at Planet Hollywood. Was that right? Does that sound right? And, um, And all the guys were there. Donnie was there. We didn't tour with him. But that we were in the same circles. So and I saw them all there, and I was like, Karina, who was a pop artist at the time, she was like, "Is Donnie there?" Because they were dating, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Yeah." She was like, "Screw him! Would you want to come to the studio?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, I do," <laughs> but I never made it. But but then we would throw parties in North Hollywood, and then I remember John from New Kids on the Block showed up. And I was like, John from the New Kids on the Block is in our patio and he's smoking cigarettes. This is the awesomest thing that's ever happened to me. And we became like, they were going out when we were trying to come in. And they got in trouble for lip syncing. Sure. And we were real. Like, we were actually like really singing our stuff. But it was not cool to be into young music when PC Quest was kind of making the ramp up. But... It did influence us, and I know every song on that album, and I think it was cool. Girls mostly were attracted to it, sure, but I enjoyed the pop sensibility and the coolness that they had. So I, if I'm being honest, I have to put that where it is. No, it's, it's always different when you know an artist, too, and when you were in that space. I mean, you were competing for that period of your life. Yeah, with them, and you were touring with you toured with Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. All could, all the see Marky Mark came after them. Yeah, so they literally were going out. Yeah, and they got in trouble. The reason they went out was because of lip syncing, because they were some of them can't sing very good, mm-hmm. and they were lip syncing, and they kind of got that was like not cool. Just don't diss on Jordan. <laughs> no, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I was just playing. He was probably the better, uh, you know, but kidding. then when Joey, I could keep going on this <laughs> level, but they got in trouble for that and it became uncool to like young bands. Sure. They created problems for us of being like real, like kids that could sing or whatever, mm-hmm. but they were also a big influence and Maury Starr was their producer, you know, for all those albums and the right stuff probably was on top of the world. As far as my world was concerned, 
for many years. Now, even then, I don't know if I would have admitted it because it was mostly like teenage girls that loved them. Sure, sure. But because I identified with kind of what we were trying to do, mm-hmm. I was like, well, let's steal their stuff. Let's learn, you know. Sure. So there we go. All right. Here's the right stuff by New Kids on the Block. This is good stuff. Hey, that album was good. And my band at the time, we were doing cover songs because we were still, you know, trying to figure out. We did Please Don't Go Girl. Okay. Like we covered that. My brother Chad, who was probably nine at the time, he he destroyed that song. But it was on this same album. So the whole album, I could have picked three songs from that album. But the right stuff was probably the one that was like these guys are like taking over. They're the new Beatles. You know, you mentioned before Maurice star. He, he was actually, their producer. He actually played all the instruments on the album. Yeah. He yeah. was, as he was a stud. He also took all their money or a lot of their money too. What the music industry is kind of slimy. Is that, is Dude, that true? Since the fifties. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe it. That's crazy. I don't know what you're talking about, but that brings back a lot of memories, man. Oh, I imagine. I mean, as I said, when you're playing in that space and that part of your life. so And it was good. Those songs were good. Because you break it down from an art standpoint. Maurice Starr was writing hit songs. Mm-hmm. And then he was given to these five, you know, good-looking white dudes that were, like, out doing kind of... He, Maurice Starr was a black dude. Like, they were doing soul music. Mm-hmm. And they, they were pulling it off. They were break dancers. They were street kids from Boston. So it's like... It worked. It was cool. It was an influence on us. As far as stage presence, I think we were all better singers than they were, personally. But it didn't matter. They were singing hit songs. Uh, by the way, this is completely sidebar. <laughs> Bare Naked Ladies has yeah. a song, uh, New Kids on the Block. And I think you would appreciate what it. What year? Probably in the early 90s. Okay. Sort of like, these guys, you think you're all nice and sweet. They're the ones who are sleeping with your daughters and doing Dude, all Dude, <laughs> trust me. Yeah. All right. So, all right. I'll tell you an inside story. And if they hear this, they probably don't know this either. In PC Quest, we got signed to the producer of Tiffany, who had an album in 1988 that let New Kids on the Block open for her. Mm-hmm. Our keyboard player, John Duarte, who lives in Valencia, California, recorded the monitor mix from New Kids on the Block. Oh, God. And when we got signed to their production company, he showed us those tapes and showed us that it really was a fraud. Right, right, right. And we were like, okay, give us the steam. We can do this. Because we were real. We could like really pull it off. We could really sing it. Yeah. But he showed us the monitor mixes of what was really going on in the shows. Oh, wow. So you hear these guys singing, and they're like making fun of, or I don't want to say making fun of, but they're playing to the point that their stars kind of the same spirit of what you said these are the boys they're sleeping with your daughters it's like they were playing to that like you've the wrong stuff they would say because they knew their vocals weren't in the house 
wow. the house speakers. Yeah, yeah. They were only in the monitors, and he recorded the monitors. Wow. And he showed us. He showed me the tape. He said he'll never show it to anybody. He'll never release it. He'll never. Yeah. It was just his proof of what a fraud that was. Right, right, right. When they're performing. So, regardless, the was authentic though. The rig. Hey, the some those kids are street kids. Yeah. They're like doing break dancing. That that stuff is real. So, but as an influence on me as a young teenager, I have to be like, yeah. I'm in. You know. And it, and it's real for me to say that. Yeah, that was Stevens number six. Uh, you got it, the right stuff. My <laughs> new kids on the block. Okay, my number six is one that Steve already said. It's one by Metallica. Oh, good one. One, yep. yeah. So I'm gonna pass six, and I'm gonna jump to number five. <laughs> this is one of three songs on this album I could have chosen, and. It's a fantastic album. We're starting to go towards rarefied air here. Once we start passing six, we're in the top five here. The band is R.E.M. The album is Green. And the song is Stand. Yeah, it should be in my top 12, but it's not. It, it, the lyrics are an underlying message of it's great. Of this is that you have to be become involved in the places you live and you can kind of miss it. You know, it's about making decisions. This is Michael Stipe. It's about making decisions that actually live in your life rather than letting it happen. It surprises me when I walk by a parking lot that I've been walking by for eight years. And for the first time I look at it and say, oh, my God, there's a parking lot there. And I wonder why for eight years I chose not to look at it. And the music, there's a lot of stuff, their thought about this song. It's like we're doing all this deep stuff with all these crazy chord changes. And you need to give them something like Stand where it's a dumb head plow that riff in there not that not that that we're going for the idiot audience or anything this is a quote yeah but i like that stuff too the ramones write the best songs in the world but it's all one song but it's a great song uh peter buck the guitarist used the wah-wah pedal on this yeah solo because he felt it was a overused and stupid effect and it would add to the dumb feeling of the song (laughs) i I actually made a comment because it was in my top probably 15 Mm -hmm. i said the same thing like of the wah solo and it's an anthem for that yeah. for that era. Yeah. yeah. Good it's, choice. It was kind of tied between three songs. It was Pop Song 89. It was Orange Crush. And Orange Crush is about Agent Orange. Mm-hmm. It's not about Orange Crush the Drink. Mm-hmm. And Stand was the one that I kind of felt was their biggest song. So I went with that. It's a refreshing recording that's not over stylized that's still relevant today. Like you can hear it and go, yep, this, this sounds good. All right. Let's listen to stand my number five. Great, and you got to love the you got the little triangle in there. When when COVID nineteen <laughs> first hit in yeah, in March, he, he Michael Stipe did a song on YouTube. It was so good. He's still an artist. I don't think of any other band this year that I've shared, but it was it was him. Yeah, yeah. And he they were great, fantastic. No, he's a fantastic. Uh, Glad you put that on there. All right, Steve. What's your number five? 
in some ways this to some people might regress like like it goes the opposite direction but i have to be honest and you know what if we're all honest in 1988 we had on our pop radio stations for me it was kj 103 in oklahoma city girl you know it's true <laughs> and even to this day i will say that on any given day of the week to my kids in sound check on the mics with the whole accent and everything. And yes, they got stripped from Grammys. They got whatever. I don't care. I don't care. Well, they weren't the one who sang it. So I don't care. Yeah. I actually don't care. Girl, you know, it's true is part of my life. <laughs> like that phrase, the opening lines, girl, it's been a long time. <laughs> like you got to play the intro and it's panned left to the right, you know? Yeah. And he's like, girl, you know it's true. And then it has the PM Don loop in it. <laughs> it's interesting that the band New Marks, who got all the writing credit for the song, yeah, actually had this song as a big hit in Europe on their own before. Really? Yeah. See, I didn't know this. The yeah. Feed, feed so me. at the same time, Rob and Fabrice showed up at the office of Frank Farian, who was kind of the, the guy yeah, running it, guy. looking for work. Mm -hmm. And... It happened to be at the same time they were looking somebody to front Millie Vanilli because the real singers were too old or ugly or just not willing to tour. Was it the same version that they had or was uh, it? It was slightly, you know, they, they kind of Americanized did, meaning, it. Meaning, did they re-record the lead vocal? Was it a different artist that recorded? Truthfully, it actually sounds very similar, but the polish is all different, you know? Okay. So it's the same song, but... Changed up, right? Charles Shaw was the real rapper on the song. Come with you, girl. He, he was the, he was the guy who kind of came forward and kind of blew the whistle like, on them. Look, guys, this isn't real. Because Which, he, well, hey, think about it. New kids on the block yeah. were lip syncing yeah. in a lot of their stuff. Yeah, this this was a thing when this hit. My band was coming up, and we were actually real. Right, right, right. But because we were young, they were like, they can't sing that. And it was like a backlash yeah. because of this crap that was going on. That ended tragically, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I remember the press conference when everything broke, and then they had the two guys, Rob and Fabrice, when they were there, and they said, no, no, we can sing it. And they tried to sing it, the, the song, and they did it. I remember the big press conference, and then I remember hearing a short time later that uh, Rob yeah. overdosed of drugs yeah. and alcohol. I, I don't know all of whether they could or couldn't sing that. I just know that I love this record. Right. Yeah, they were out on tour with uh, Paula Abdul and Tone Loke on an MTV tour, and they uh, that was where everything blew up. Uh, and Sad. they actually won a Grammy. Yeah, in, and it in, got stripped. Uh, and then they had a give it back. They were auditioned for the part right. to go play, to play a role yeah, 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 in yeah. this thing. And that and it, they were the victims. Honestly, they were victims. Right. No, but the song itself is a it real song. The whole two but it albums, was, but they it did wasn't. Was it wasn't by them. Yeah, correct. All right. So let's listen to "Girl." You know it's true. We'll play a little intro and then we'll play the song. Let's listen. So what are you doing back? <laughs> well, I sat back and thought about the things we used to do. It really meant a lot to me. You mean a lot? To me. A lot. I really mean that much to you, girl. You know it's true. Oh, <laughs> 
great. <laughs> I mean, that loop was so popular early nineties. Like, that was eighty eight. So yeah, it's it's pushing it that filtered end, a long way down the road. I believe it. So I'm almost scared to ask, but what's number four? <laughs> it's gonna get better. You ready? Yeah. Fast car. Nice. I figured that's in your top two. It is. It's in mine. Yeah. I think this is timeless music. It's just great. It's completely interesting. For me, it's like the penultimate singer-songwriter song. This song, everybody I've ever seen perform this song has absolutely killed it. Tracy just blew me away the first time I heard it. And her voice drags you in the authenticity from every lyric. Lyric, yes. I love this tune. For me, I think it's timeless. I think it's classic production. It's not over-stylized. It's just true artistry. It's unique. Is this a guy singing? Is this a girl singing? Like, do I even know? Do I care? What is it saying? Mm-hmm. It's just it's just great. And it's you could play it right now, and it would sound like 2020. The thing that I appreciate about this, and you probably would appreciate about this, is she started touring by herself with an acoustic guitar. Yeah. Not with the full band. Mm-hmm. You know, she started Coffee House, but then she was on tour and she got signed to some big shows and she just went out there and played. Her big break was she was booked to appear on the bill at the Nelson Mandela birthday concert at Wembley Stadium. Mm. And she had like an afternoon, like the earliest gig. You know, she's one of those artists that just show up at like one o'clock while people are getting in. After performing several songs from the, the album, Chapman just thought she'd done her bit and relaxed and enjoy the rest of the concert. However... Late in the evening, Stevie Wonder was delayed when his computer disc for his performance disappeared. So Chapman, in the heart of one of the biggest concerts of all time, was thrust onto stage in the middle of the prime time of the show, where there's millions of people watching. And she performed Fast Car alone. All of a sudden, that song blew up. Yeah. I love those stories. She, Providence. And she got and the song's not about a car at all. It's pretty much about a relationship that doesn't yeah. work out but because it was starting from the wrong place. Um, but, but how cool is it that you have, you know, a black artist playing acoustic guitar, folky, sure, crossing every genre and just destroying it. Unbelievable. And it's still relevant today. Like, you could play it, and it sonically still sounds relevant. So, it won a Grammy Award in 89 for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance. And she's had some hits after that, but this is her big one, and it kind of cemented her for her career that she's had since. Mm -hmm. So, uh, let's listen to Steve's number four, Fast Car. That's, anyway, that's so good. If you put that at number one, I'd be like, amen. I will find out. So my four is from a little tiny band, much along the same line as Tracy Chapman. No, People don't generally know of this band. The band is called U2. The name of the song is Desire. 
And it's well, uh, was this a live album or was Rattle and Hum is mixed. Half of the album's live albums and half of the album's original tracks. So this is where Desire came from, the only right. place you can find it. The drum groove and the rhythm section drives it's the song. Great. It has that Bo Diddley beat, that sort of thing they have. Mm-hmm. Bono is just his vocal delivery is amazing. I love the straight-ahead chordal guitar hook. It moves the song well. Edge always said that that riff was inspired by the Stooges' song 1969. But the song is generally about ambition, dedication, required to be a successful band. It also criticizes American preachers who swindle followers out of money. Bono always said rhythm is the sex of music. I'm with you. He says, I'm criticizing lunatic fringe preachers stealing hearts at a traveling show. But I'm also starting to realize there's a real parallel between what I'm doing and what they do. Mm-hmm. So it was more of a deeper thing that he kind of realized. This won a Grammy for Best Rock Performance. So let's listen to Desire for you 2 off of Rattle and Hum. Great track. Yeah, it's fantastic. And they have the they have actually harmonica going on later on in that. So good. Good choice. Thank you. My number three has already been said. My number three song is Cult of Personality by Living Color. Good choice. Top three of Top the, whole, three. the whole year. Yeah, that that was one of the ones that I, I said, oh my gosh, that has to be there. Yeah. And my top three are That's those like sort of songs. Bold, yeah. you yeah. know? I agree. Good. I agree with that. Okay. Uh, so it's my three. three, three you ready? Two. You ready for this? Okay. Bobby Brown, don't <laughs> be cruel. Don't be cruel. Not my prerogative. I was kind of. Hey, you know what? Because don't be cruel exists, I can talk about my prerogative. I can talk about Roni. <laughs> I'm going off the top of my head. I'm not looking at my notes, but. Dude, I I think I was in seventh or eighth grade. I remember asking my buddy, Tommy Starnes, to do a duet with me because I could sing. He was a black dude that could rap. And I was like, let's do this. Bobby Brown was like, it. We had a talent show. And I'm like, you're going to rap and then we'll dance together and we'll just make, we're going to kill this. All right. So check this out. I could go to Sound Warehouse, I think that was what it was called, in the mall, and I could still buy records, like a single. So Don't Be Cruel single was Don't Be Cruel, A-side. B-side was the instrumental. So I could take that and and make a soundtrack, and I could be like playing his track. Karaoke. Yeah. And it was legit. It wasn't some cheesy karaoke track and so i had figured out how to like balance it down to a tape and like we could turn this we could kill this and he was a cool dude and um he bailed on me so we didn't do it but i was bummed but that bobby brown album uh what was my prerogative don't be cruel roni every little step every little step i take we will be I have all the dance moves like we, but I think for me, because don't be cruel had that soundtrack and I was supposed to sing it. I connected with it. Sure. sure. I think for pop slash hip hop, like 
singer stuff, I think this was a big influence. Do you like New Edition as well? Or? Yeah, and they had an album out that year, and there was like a feud going on because like Bobby Brown's trying to be the rock star of New Edition. They had their own hits, but Bobby Brown catapulted way past it. He just had the right producers, right timing, right songs, right energy, right charisma, all that. And it was, it made an impact on me for and sure. And he had an image, even though it wasn't necessarily a positive image. It was awesome. It was, it was an image but that But he also that could pressed. dance and do yeah. the, all the choreography at that time in pop music. That was like the thing. And he yeah. killed it. He was awesome. So, yep, that's, that's the truth for me. All right. Let's listen to Steve's number three. Of 1988. Don't be cruel. Let's listen. I really like the oh, bass. Oh, I'm in. Yeah. That track is good. All right, so later, like a couple years later, PC Quest had an album, my 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 group, mm. and I had this song that I sang called Lover Boy. And if you search it on YouTube, it's it's out there, but it's called Lover Boy by PC Quest, and you're going to hear a strong influence from this era. So why don't we just take a listen real quick? <laughs> Let's listen to a little bit of Lover Boy by PC Quest. Stave singing. Let's hear it. But this time I swear And the writers we were working with, because we were young, they were writers that were established. And they, they kind of had this vibe. And I was like, I love that song. Because it sounded, it reminded me of me wanting to perform Bobby Brown music. Or, you know. No, I get it. So, anyway. Okay. So, what's your number two? Number two is, all right, this could have been my number one. But it's number two. Chains of Love Erasure. Really? Okay. And I'll tell you what, everything in life leads back to a girl. I remember as a young kid in junior high, mm -hmm. sneaking out my parents' car and driving to Oklahoma City from Shawnee to see my girlfriend, Angie. And this song was a hit and it was on the radio. And I'm like, turn this up. And there's something electronically about it that probably that I'm attracted to. Sure. But not only that, the vocals, that whole electro melodic English melody kind of thing works for me. It's still relevant to me. Well, it's a synth pop dance. Sort of, I love yeah. synth pop. And and there was, an, what was the other one on this album? Do you have it on your notes? Uh, a Little Respect. Yes. That one is just, honestly, it's just as good. Knowing that I picked Chains of Love, I could mention Little Respect and I would be okay with that. Either one, Chains of Love probably hit me just a little bit more. Yeah, in the bands I was playing in, we were playing like the rock vibe. And the thing that I remember out of Razor is that there was this one girl who used to hang out with us. And it's like she liked some of the stuff we did, but she she loved Erasure. 
And it was You're always like, she's kind of cute. I'm thinking everything comes back to a girl. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. It really just sort of stuck with me. And I was not a big Erasure fan at the time, but you have to appreciate the songwriting and the. And I the think sound. at that age, the radio dictated what we listened to. So that song played on KJ 103 a lot. And I'm like, this song is awesome. But I like like Depeche Mode, Yaz, all that. And that they're all in that family. <laughs> and. But regardless, if you were just to play that song, I'd be like, that's awesome. Yeah, the song is all about breaking the chains of what a stereotypical relationship should be. And it's all about gay marriage to some degree. That's that's and, what and I stuff. like yeah. it. Yeah, that's what I figured. <laughs> you know what? I like these. I like this song. Yeah, you know, it, that doesn't. Yeah. I would. I had this thing. We had this. Um, my parents had the vehicle that my grandma, Helen, had. And we called it the Brady Mobile. And it was like a Brady Bunch kind sure, of like, yeah. what are those called? Like the, the car, what are the, like the, the station, station wagon? wagon. Yeah, yeah. And I would sneak it out at 15 years old, mm-hmm. which is almost my daughter's age. And I would drive from Shawnee, which was on I-40, to Oklahoma City, which was 40 miles away, without a driver's license, without, you know, anything yeah. to go see my girlfriend. And what would we listen to? Together we break these chains of love. I'm like, I'm in. It can mean what it means to you. Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't have to, you don't have to buy into what the artist was necessarily going for in his relationship, but just because he was looking for gay rights sort of thing because of his sexuality. It meant something totally different to me. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. And this song rocks. Yeah, so you were thinking about the chains of love that you're breaking by stealing your parents' car and going to (laughs) see Which is fine. Which I told them about later in life. They're like, what? (laughs) You did what? Huh? All right, let's listen to Chains of Love by Erasure. No, it's a good tune. I can see why it meant a lot to you, especially yeah. with the drive. I love it when music brings you back to a memory or brings you back to a time, no matter what the song is. It's true. It, matter, it like imprints on your brain. Right. Okay. I'm going to go with my number two. That's slightly different. I'm going to go with a band that would be fine with the song even like 10 years later or five years later. It would fit. It is... Okay. A uh, band that put out an album called Nothing Shocking. The band was Jane's Addiction. And the song that I'm going with is Jane Says. Yeah, Jane Says. Okay, yeah. Yeah, with the Feral. Yeah. You know, he was obviously a great and unique singer. They kind of, uh, you hear his voice and you know it's Feral. The real Jane is Jane Binkter, who was living in L.A. She had a heroin problem and had always talked about going to Europe. Which is like when they're talking about, I'm going away to Spain, Spain and get my money saved in the song. That's what it is. It's almost a grunge sort of feel in 88. Their sort of vibe is not the hair rock that was going on at the time. I'm glad you're bringing this up. I think it's very important. They used steel drums in the song. Although they had a demo of the song earlier that didn't have it. But this was their official release and it had the steel drums and I thought it added a lot to it. 
and the multiple acoustic guitars. The vocal layering is done so well. And I love like the triple guitar hits on She Can Have. Dun, dun, you know, she mm-hmm. Can Have. It's just fantastic. Was that Navarro the, then, then? I think so. All right. So here's my notes because this was in my running. Sure. And I'll tell you why I didn't pick it. Because I didn't discover Jane's Addiction until probably 92 or 93. So think about that. Four years later, after they killed it on this album, and I was listening to Bobby Brown, Mm -hmm. they were knocking this stuff out. So in my notes, I put, it's an important record. It ushered in alternative music, grunge music. It ushered it all in. Their baby was grunge. Number one, Perry Farrell was amazing. But Lollapalooza, 92, I was there in Dallas watching Pearl Jam, Jesus and Mary Chain, L7, Soundgarden, Ministry, all the bands in 88 that were like on the front end of what was to come. And with regard to Lollapalooza, Perry was like the force behind that, right? Yes, exactly. And you know what? His vocals are incredible. He's amazing. Perry is just it's really good. Let's listen to my number two, James Head. Yeah, it's amazing too. You think it's like you hear acoustic, it's kind of mellow, but to me it has so much uh, it has so much bite to it because of him. Yeah. Stacked oh. vocals. It's just good, man. All right. My number one Go. Is Fast Car. Good. I you know what? I affirm that. Yeah. So and that's it. So what I, was that on mine? What was that on mine? That was four. four. So we're close. Close enough, yeah. It was good. Good. That's a good call. So, Steve, what's your number one? Mine's an oddball that we discovered once I was here before we did this podcast. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. What year did da-da-da-da-da come out in? And you're like, that's it. I'm like, I'm sorry. Everything has to take a spot because this is going to number one. That's crazy. That's okay. And you know what? I said it earlier. It's about a girl. You know, when you're in 7th and 8th grade, you're in 7th and 8th grade, and you love a girl, and you're feeling those feelings of real love, not puppy love, but like the next level up. And it's a song by a band from, I'm assuming they're from England, but it's a band called Breathe. And And it's a song called Hands to Heaven. The voice of this dude connected, but the song... And then just me always having like a heavenly kind of attraction. And and there's something about his vocal, but then it's so romantic. Tomorrow I must leave. It's dramatic. Mm-hmm. It has a sax solo. There's something about sonically, like when you play the record, that it, it has this mood to it. That's like, I don't know how they captured that. It was definitely on the radio where I lived, because that's where I heard it. But... It connected with me, and it was such a love song. Tomorrow I must leave, and God knows, and I'll repeat, God give me. And then it hit number nine on the Billboard Top 100. Oh, that's pretty dang good. Yeah. So that year, when I told you we were in the pop group at this time, 
we were scheduled. We did auditions for Star Search, which was, you know, like American Idol at the sure, time. Sure. And this was one of my songs that I auditioned with. Oh, okay. And they're like, you're on the show. And then the couple of the people in our group, because they didn't do groups at the time, we had to do solo. We all separated. So three out of the four singers, we separated and we got picked to be on the show. Oh, cool. And at the same time, within like, you know, two weeks. I got to get a copy of that, by the way. We, well, within the two weeks, we got a record deal. And the record company and the management company said, do you want to do Star Search and go do that? Which could be good publicity. Or do you want to make an album? We're like, no. The reason we would do Star Search is, is to, to get, get a record an album. deal. <laughs> if we have a record deal, so we, we don't if have we have it, screw that. Let's go to work. So that went out the window. But it made such an impact on me. This song, and and to this day, I mean, I would say if there's a karaoke track, I would rock this right now. Oh, I'm sure you would. <laughs> Hands to heaven, by breathe. Okay, let's listen to uh, Steve's number one. Song Hands to Heaven by Breathe. Let's listen. Sax solos coming up next. Oh, sorry. That's good. It's on our playlist. It's good. Okay. God, that brings back so many memories. No, I know. The, those Can you, are... you know me. Yeah. Can you see why I like that song? Yeah. No, I, I said. When like, you, you know my songwriting, yeah, though. Yeah, you, yeah. Can you see why I, I would connect to that? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, it has. It's a, there's some spirituality in it, too. And it's true. Think about it. a yeah. pop song, yeah. number nine on the pop chart. So raise your hands yeah. to. And I wasn't probably born again at the time. Like, yeah. I wasn't like a Christian or, or maybe I thought everyone was being yeah. from Oklahoma. But like, I wasn't living like in that realm. Right, right. But there was something, you're right, spiritual about that song that was like deep, you know. No, it's great. And it's not a song that I really knew, in all fairness. I was not familiar with Breathe at all. Uh, I've heard of Need to Breathe, but Breathe. That's a night. That's 2000. No, I know. That's like later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of it had to do it. with being in love for the first time and realizing that girls are awesome. Yes. You know? And then that song was like, hey, let's let's hang out. I, my sisters may know that song. You know what I mean? But it made an impact yeah, on me. Yeah, no, you no. know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I totally get it. I love your list, though. Honestly, I affirm your list. I'm glad that you picked songs that I didn't pick because I should have. You know what I mean? Well, like, it's going to be a great playlist for everybody to listen to. For how me. many did we join on? Was there three or four? We joined on two. I'm just going through it. Three... Four. Dude, that's a lot for top yeah. for the whole year, yeah. for you and I to join on four, being in different places, yeah. you know, slightly different ages, but not much. But we we join on four. That's amazing. Yeah, you know? no, it's it's all good. It's um, like I listen to everything, so I was never really in one space. But like, no rest for the wicked was came out that year. Mm-hmm. I remember saying that. You know, there wasn't anything that really jumped out at me that like this would push it up into the top twelve. Although I did love Zach Wild, 
and that was Zach Wall coming into his own. And I like the album generally. I had a couple country things that I almost that were in my top. Hank Williams Jr. Or? But Randy Travis. Sure. Yeah, Randy Travis had a great album. Deeper Than the Hollow. That yeah. was a good one, and it was great. It, it made me feel like home, but it didn't. The it, one song that I almost put on, which was Anthrax, yeah. which is a, a, a song called Antisocial. Yeah. That was one that I just missed. You know, they have like Patience by Guns, uh, N Guns N' Roses. Roses. Dude, I, and you know what? That was a biggie for me. Yeah. Like, I figured that would be in yours. Parents just don't understand. That by, was, it. That was uh, in my uh, top ones, too. And I'm like, okay, but did it can Billy Ocean? <laughs> yeah, get, get into in my, my car. car. Uh, get in the backseat, baby. Like, you know, dang. Cold Blood by Kicks, which was, yeah. I, I, I was into that sort of like uh, little hair metal type of thing. Yeah. This Notes for You by Neil Young yeah. started out that year. Uh, all the Paul Abduls, the Cold Hearted Snake. That and whole album was album great. And that straight album, up and that was in track. my top top thing. And you know Every what? Rose Has Its Thorn. It's huge. Your Mama uh, Don't Dance. Uh, the nothing one, But A Good Time. Nothing But A Good Time. I yeah. had that in my top, like, probably 15. Yeah. Uh, someone, she it's, wants Someone to Dance With Me by Rick Ashley. <laughs> hey. And the one that I thought you were going to have in there was The Look by Roxette. It was in that the look. That whole album had two or three hits, actually. The yeah. look, she's got the look, but no, that was good, and I liked it. Tasted like a Wayne Dwab. She's got. I like their yeah. diction. The guy's yeah. diction. He yeah. had like yeah. some foreign thing, but it was like we would always make fun fun of. It tasted like a Wayne Dwab. She's got the look, and I would always just die laughing because That's of funny. that. Um, all this time by Tiffany. Van Halen had a song. Uh, Van Halen had an album, the OU812 album. When it's love, and I feel it. Oh, when it's love. That was in my top ones. It just I almost had finished. I almost put finish what you started or black and blue or they, they had a bunch of songs by them that I liked a lot. The Rhythm of Love by the Scorpions. And yeah. The Bangles. I'm surprised. Didn't, like, hey, Eternal, Eternal Flame. Eternal Flame is like one of my jams. The and Escape honestly, Club. It wasn't the right uh, the album. The Wild Wild West, you know. But was that on the 88? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, so that was huge for me. The Smithereens, I love the Smithereens. So yeah. Uh, only a memory was out that year. And what about Ministry? Ministry, uh, Stigmata, I like a lot. I did. That's what I had on my list. Yeah. However, I didn't discover that till '92. But they played Stigmata at Lollapalooza. I don't know if I mentioned that earlier. Mm -hmm. And I swear to God, that is the most insane concert I've ever been to in my oh, life. Oh, I imagine. Like yeah. it was the darkest. Yeah. And here's the deal. Here's how cool this was. All the guitar players, Soundgarden, Chili Peppers, Pearl Jam, they all came on stage and played Stigmata with okay. Ministry. Da, 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 da. And there was a mosh pit yeah. like in the grass in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. It was the scary. There was a fire in the middle of it. They were ripping seats out of the outdoor pavilion. They were passing skulls, like cow skulls, throughout oh, the audience. It was crazy. But the reason I didn't put it on my list is because I didn't discover it till later. Right. I get why it's important, but I that's why I didn't put it. The Traveling Wilburys album, yeah. they had a bunch of songs on there. Uh, New edition, NWA. NWA. Huge. That whole album could have gone on. Was Not Was. Yep, you could dinosaur, have put which dinosaur. is just a little bit too cheesy for me. And Tomorrow People by Ziggy Marley. Yeah, um, Kenny Loggins. Meet me halfway yep. across the sky. Maybe a new begin. That's yeah. great. Heat Seeker by uh, ACDC. Yeah, and Living Daylights. I'm a Bond fan by Uh Huh. Wind beneath my wings. 
Yeah, I'd probably fall asleep before I listen to that. It's not a bad song. It's just I would fall asleep listening to her singing. Yeah, I get it. But it was in 1988. It was probably a hit. Oh, yeah, yeah. My grandmother loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it didn't didn't meet my... It was in my top 47. It was Bette Midler version. It was in my top 47. All right, let's recap. My song of note was Pull Cool One by Robert Plant. My number 12 was Bad Medicine by Bon Jovi. Number 11, Close My Eyes Forever by Lita Ford and Ozzy Osbourne. Number 10, Simply Irresistible by Robert Palmer. Number 9, Gypsy Road by Cinderella. Number 8, What I Am by Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians. Number 7, I Hate Myself for Loving You by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Number 6, One by Metallica. Number 5, Stan by R.E.M. Number 4, Desire by U2. Number three, Cult of Personality by Living Color. Number two, Jane Says by Jane's Addiction. And number one was Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. Good. I like that. I affirm that. That's great. My song of note, The Living Years, Mike and the Mechanics. Number 12 is Everybody Knows, which was um, Leonard Cohen. Everybody Knows. Number 11, One by Metallica. Number 10, Don't Worry. Be happy. Um, number nine was The Flame by Cheap Trick. Number eight was Cult of Personality by Living Color. Mm-hmm. Number seven, Close Your Eyes Forever by Lita Ford slash Ozzy. Mm-hmm. Uh, number six, The Right Stuff by New Kids in KOTB. Number five, Girl, You Know It's True, Millie Vanilli. Number four, Fast Car, Tracy Chapman. Number three, Don't Be Cruel, Bobby Brown. Number two, Chains of Love by Erasure. And number one was Hands to Heaven by Breathe. Okay. So, yeah, this was great. And thanks for doing this, Steve. Coming at it from two different angles. So it was interesting. We had some overlap, which was good. Which is a lot, really, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody, please, if you haven't done it already, subscribe to whatever podcast you're listening to this on. Share it with your friends. Let people know and uh, chat with us. Leave messages. That's fine. Facebook is probably the best place to reach us and have a conversation. Or you can go and leave us a message on our uh, our main page, which is just, if you go to www.dirtydozenpodcast.com, uh, you will get to our main page. There's links to A lot of different providers of podcasts. Podbean is the one that's hosting it. And there's all the show notes. We'll have the links to the playlist. We'll have the links to all the videos for all these songs as well on uh, YouTube. And we'll have a lot of really good stuff that you should check out. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Steve, for being here. Uh, God bless. And I will see you in two weeks with Jake and I doing 19... 87. Ooh, that sounds good. (laughs) All right. So uh, be well. God bless. I'll see you soon.